No, it's not. Well, no, it's not announcements time. Uh, time for the sermon. It's been a while since I've last preached here. Uh, my name is John Michael. I'm one of the community pastors here. Uh, I helped plant this church back in 2010. Uh, was campus pastor for a couple years before Pastor Marcus uh, took over. But my real job here in Korea is to direct an orphanage ministry called Jerusalem Ministry. And I've been serving at Jion Christian Children's Home uh, for the past eight years teaching English. I came to Korea in December 2005. I was realizing some of you were in elementary school uh, in 2005. That's crazy. Uh, so even though I, I, I helped plant this church, something I realized is that uh, I don't think I've ever really shared my testimony with the whole church. I know I've shared it with some of you guys, and it makes me laugh that, that John's here um, because he's heard my testimony many times. Uh, he's from Hillside, but uh, I felt led to share it today, and it's going to go along with the message uh, that God's put on my heart. Uh, and so I guess I'll start with the testimony, and then I'll lead you guys into the Word. Uh, my story started back in January of 1982. I was born uh, into a Christian family in Springfield, Virginia, right outside D.C., and they loved the Lord, my parents, and so they sent me to a Christian school through eighth grade, and I went to church, I went to youth group, uh, I was the good kid, and uh, I really learned how to act like a Christian, but I didn't know God personally until I was 16, and that was when I attended a Christian camp, and it was during worship one night that I heard God's voice for the first time. Uh, I'd never heard his voice before, uh, but I heard his whisper that night. He was very gentle. gentle. Uh, he spoke very gently to me, and he said, John Michael, uh, I love you. And it was in that moment that just a number of images flashed before my mind, and there were images of people showing me love. And uh, it wasn't like my family or close friends, but it was other more random people showing me love. And behind them, I could see God working through them. And it was in that moment that First John 4.19 became real for me. We love because God first loved us. And I really came to understand that every moment in my life when I received love, God was working behind the people showing love to me. He is the author of love. And I'd heard about the cross since birth, uh, but I really think it took the revelation of knowing that God is present in my life, that he's Emmanuel, and that he loves me now. He's been loving me since birth. He will continue to love me. That really, uh, just really tore up my heart. And I dedicated my life to him that night. And I began to gradually grow with the Lord from that day. Uh, but I'll tell you guys, it was during college at Virginia Tech, I was studying engineering, that my relationship really took off with the Lord. And over the years, God began to reveal deep desires within me that I hadn't known before. You see, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when I was young, and as I entered college, I thought the desires of my heart were to get a good degree, to get a good job, to have a nice house, to have a, a loving family, to have healthy kids, and to, you know, attend church, and just to be a good, good person, you know, and that was my kind of dream. That was what I thought were the desires of my heart, but what I didn't realize is a lot of the desires that we have growing up, it's either desires that our parents have spoken over us, or it's from the American dream. It's from marketing. It's from what other people are saying. This is what you got to have. Okay? And these false desires had piled up over my heart, so I didn't really even know who I was. But it was as I walked with God that he began to peel away those desires that weren't really me, that wouldn't truly satisfy. 
and he began to reveal deep desires within my heart that I didn't know before. And one of these desires was missions, specifically Asia. Now, if you had told me when I was 18, entering college, that I would be a missionary in Asia, I would kick and scream and be like, you're crazy, no chance. I like America, I'm going to stay in America. Uh, But God started to do something strange in me, and he was opening my heart to missions, and he started to give me a burning heart for missions. So by the time I was in my last year of college, I made a list of possible career destinations, and I wrote down a lot of countries. I wrote down China, uh, Thailand, Vietnam, Taiwan, Japan. I wrote down engineering abroad, engineering in the States, seminary, college ministry. I wrote down all these different career options. It's about 15. And I prayed, God, I pray that you guide me with clarity where you want me to go. And I pray that you guide my parents with me. Because while my parents are Christian, they love the Lord. There is no missionary in my family. No one in my immediate family lived abroad. Uh, that's scary to my family. Uh, a small, kind of small town. I know we're from D.C., but they were born and raised there. Uh, and so the thought of missions was no. You studied hard to get your degree in engineering. We paid a lot of money for this. You're going to get a job. And, uh, and so I was praying throughout my last year. And I would fast once a week. And I would ask God, God, I pray that you guide me with clarity where you want me to go, what you want me to be doing. And um, he would lead me to cross things off the list. And it wasn't in this, like, it is not Thailand, you know, type of way. It wasn't like that at all. It was just kind of like, I would just kind of feel different impressions. And, you know, one of the impressions that, that, that people always laugh that I share, but it was very real, it was very true, was I had a big heart for Vietnam. The reason is, is I love Vietnamese food. It's my favorite food. And I visited Vietnam in 2004, and I thought, you know, maybe this is it. This place is, this place is so cool. And I, I remember I was praying into it, and uh, then I went to a pho restaurant in northern Virginia, and I was enjoying the food, and I was like, God, is this you? And uh, <laughs> then uh, I heard all the Vietnamese people speaking their language around me, and I thought, nope, <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I just can't do it. Crossed it off the list. <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. But there was a clear conviction in my heart. It was not Vietnam. And uh, by the time it was, it was Christmas of that year, it was uh, after my first semester, I, I was talking to my dad about my future. And he said, son, when you graduate, you got to get a job. And if you're going to live with the family, you're going to pay rent. Um, because, you know, you're an adult now. You need to be, be making money, taking care of yourself. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. You know, it was good that my dad was staying, saying that. But it wasn't like, yeah, you can do missions for a year. It was, you're going to get a job right away. Uh, And so I kept praying. I said, God, if this is the desire that you've given me or you put in my heart that I didn't even know I had and you've revealed it to me, I know you can do the same for my parents. I know that you can reveal it to their hearts. And so I continued to pray and I continued to fast. And uh, during the spring semester, I I did a a 10-day water fast, just water, and uh, seeking the Lord. And I kept expecting God to show up in like a dream or a vision or like Gabriel, you know, like right there. And, and, you know, you are called to, you know, to this. And that's what I wanted. And I was really, really pursuing it from the Lord. But God was silent. And all I was getting were impressions that, no, it's not this. No, it's not that. No, it's not this. No, it's not that. And so by the time I graduated in May of 2005, the only thing left on my list was Japan. 
And I'd applied for a missions agency in Japan. I'd gotten accepted. But I didn't feel my heart, like, surging for it. And I didn't feel God saying, it is Japan. You know, you're supposed to go to this country. And uh, my parents, at the same time, during that spring semester, God had worked in their hearts to the point where they said, okay, John Michael, you can go on missions for one year to wherever you want to go, and then you have to come back and get a job. And uh, so God was working, but it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't, you know, what I'd really been contending for. And so I, I, I said, all right, I, I told the missions agency I can't commit uh, in the fall. Uh, maybe next year is when I'll start, but I feel like I need to keep seeking wisdom from the Lord. And so I came home in May, and uh, I told my, my family uh, I, I won't be eating dinner with the family on Thursday nights. And they said, oh, you know, well, why not? And I told my parents, well, that's my fasting day. And uh, that really surprised them because fasting wasn't something that was really taught uh, at my home church or something that I, I ever saw my parents doing. And so they were kind of surprised, and they said, well, what are you fasting for? And uh, I said, oh, I'm, I'm fasting for my future. I'm really praying uh, for God's guidance for my future. And uh, they paused for a moment, and I think they were kind of surprised. But then my mom said, John Michael, your future is really important to us as well. And so we want to fast with you. And uh, I, was, I was really surprised. I was really blessed. And so that Thursday, we fasted, and, uh, and we prayed. And then the next day, uh, my dad came up to me after work, and he said, John Michael, I had the weirdest dream last night. Uh, I dreamed that you were with Pastor Che at his orphanage in South Korea. And uh, we both laughed. What a crazy dream. <laughs> That's so silly. I'd crossed off Korea. I'm not going to Korea. I don't have a heart for kids. Orphans, not a chance. And, uh, and we, just, we just thought it was, it was the craziest dream ever. Not very discerning, uh, kind of oblivious. But uh, we laughed about it. My mom was the only one that was kind of like, hey, you know, we fasted yesterday. You know, but, but she didn't say anything. And uh, we, we continue to, to pray and fast and, and seek the Lord for uh, guidance for my future. And um, a few weeks passed, and I went on a missions training for the Japan missions. And it was there God made it very clear to me I was not to go uh, to do missions in Japan. And so I had to cross that off my list. And I remember going home and just lifting up my crossed-out list to God of like 15 different things all crossed out. And I said, God, if you want me to be unemployed for your glory, I will do it. But uh, I really pray that you will guide me with what you want me to do. I continued to pray and I continued to fast and, uh, and seek the Lord. And um, it was about a month after the first dream, my dad had a second dream. And I didn't know this about my dad, but he's the type of person where his head hits the pillow. He's out and he wakes up. There are no dreams uh, at all. He's just out wakes up and he had uh, the second dream was a really bad nightmare and uh it shook him up he got up in the middle of the night which for him was two in the morning uh for you guys that's when you go to bed but uh he got up and and he went downstairs and he opened up his bible and he was just praying and and asking god why did you give me this dream What, what are you trying to say and god spoke very clearly to my dad that night and he said pete I speak in dreams. Pay attention. And uh, it, you know, it got my dad to the core. And the only dream my dad could remember was the dream of me at the orphanage. 
And so the next day, this time when he came up to me, it wasn't like I had a weird dream. It was, hey, I had, a, I had a, this nightmare last night, and then I got up and I prayed, and God spoke to me, and he said, I speak through dreams, and I couldn't get the dream of you at the orphanage out of my head. I feel like something's going on here. And then it clicked in my dense skull uh, about what I'd been praying for my dad since I graduated. You see, uh, I have a prayer journal, and every semester and every summer, uh, I would go to a new entry, and I'd write down names of people dear to me or people that the Spirit was putting on my heart, and I would pray for them daily. And what I would do is, as I would pray for them, if God would put an impression on my heart for them, I would write down that impression, and I would pray that specific word for them daily. And so when I came home right after I graduated, I opened up new entry, and I wrote down my dad's name, and I was praying for him, and a verse came on my heart. And it was Joel 2.28. And it says, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And I was very new to the Holy Spirit at that time. Uh, I was not raised you know, charismatic or anything like that. Uh, and so spiritual gifts, that stuff, very new to me. Um, but I was like, well, well, this is a cool verse. You know, what are you trying to tell me, God? And I prayed, and God was just silent. I wasn't getting anything. And so I'm like, all right, got to use my own logic. And I'm looking at this, and it says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. And I'm praying, like, well, sons and daughters, old men. And finally I was like, well, I call my dad my old man. I'll pray that he dreams dreams. And I wrote it down. And I have that journal today. I wrote it down. Dreams, dreams, walk in your spirit. Five days later, my dad had the dream of the orphanage, his first dream that he could remember. Uh, and it just didn't click, though, because I'd just been starting to pray for him for it. And it was the second dream where I realized, wow, that was God speaking, and now God's working. And my dad said, you need to email Pastor Che. We've got to find out what's going on right, right away. And so uh, I had Pastor Che's email. I'd, I'd seen him in Korea. I was in Korea in 2003. I actually went by the orphanage and met him then. Uh, he had spoken in 1986 at my home church. And that was when my dad met him. He can speak English. And that was it. My dad had never been to Korea. Uh, my dad had never been out, out of the country aside from Jamaica. And uh, so yet my dad has this vivid dream of me in the orphanage with Pastor Che. And so that was pretty, pretty amazing. Well, I email him. He's in his 70s. Uh, and I wait for a reply. But the email was pretty ironic. It was, hey, my name is John Michael Becker. Uh, you might remember me. I visited in 2003. He, he didn't remember me. And, uh, you know, I'm an engineer. I can speak English. I can't speak any Korean. Um, could I be of any help at your orphanage? Like, what do you need an engineering major who can't speak your language for uh, in your orphanage? But I was like, all right, God, if this is you, you know, here you go. And, and I sent it. And uh, it took him about a month to reply. And he replied with, like, one line. And it was, um, well, I'm not sure. I'll talk to my staff about it. We'll see. And I was like, thank you very much, you know, and, and I replied, and I just waited on the Lord. And I started working construction um, for our family business, electrician work, digging ditches, laying down wires, uh, hard hat stuff, six in the morning, two in the afternoon, uh, doing that job, just waiting on God. I just really felt a conviction in my heart not to commit to anything but to wait on the Lord. And so I was doing that job and waiting. And July passed, August passed, and at the end of September, I was uh, praying at night, and I got into bed, and uh, I was just thinking about Korea. Now, at that time, I had no friends in Korea. I wouldn't be going with a ministry team. I had no heart for, for kids. I couldn't speak the language Korean. 
Uh, I, I had no experience like teaching English, which is what I would assume I would be doing. Uh, I didn't like Korean food, and guys, that's important, uh, you know. And and I didn't have the support money, you know. My, my parents weren't, weren't weren't still fully on board, and so I was like, God, you know, this is the faith jump. This is going out on my own. This isn't even going with a missions organization, or at least with one person. And I would be immersed, living with 88 kids in an orphanage, and I was just praying about it. And God's peace just fell on me that night. And verses like Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The end of the Great Commission, surely I'm with you always, even now to the very end of this age. Those verses just resonated within me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. It just resounded in my soul. And all those times that I'd worship God and say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. God, I love you, you know, and, and passion and worship. It came back to me. And now it was like, it was for real. Like, do you mean those words? And it was by God's peace, by his grace, I was able to say that night in bed. I said, God, if Pastor Che emails me tomorrow and says, please come and join us in Korea, I will go. I will obey you and I'll just trust you for all the provision. I'll trust you for, for all my needs. You will take care of me. I love you, Lord. I trust in you. And I woke up the next morning, went to work, continued to go to work. And it was a week later that my mom got an email. And it was from a friend in the Midwest, a friend that she trusts a lot, someone that I, I didn't know that well at that time. And this lady emailed my mom and asked about me. And uh, my mom replied back and said, well, John Michael's working construction right now. Uh, we're not sure about his future. He might do engineering work. Uh, he might do missions work. We're, we're not that sure. And the lady replied back and said, well, there was a sum of money that God led me to set aside, and I've been praying about it, and God made it very clear to me that I'm to give this money to missions. And so I continued to pray and ask God for guidance. You know, what missions group, what country, what missionary, who should I give this money to? And God made it very clear to me that I'm to give this money to John Michael. And so at the beginning of December this year, I will be giving John Michael $1,500 a month for an entire year to wherever God leads him. $18,000 without a support letter, without confirmation, without anything. Okay. And uh, my mom called me down. She showed me the email. Her, her jaw was just dropped. And she looked at me and said, John Michael, if Korea doesn't work out, you better go somewhere. This lady's giving you all this money. And I was like, wow, the world's wide open. Like I can do anything. But what was cool was it wasn't me that got the email. It wasn't my friend's it wasn't the person that I trusted. It was someone that my mom trusted a lot, who she got the email from. You see, God was opening my mom's heart, and God was showing my mom, this is my will for your son. And uh, my dad, in October, uh, a few weeks later, he had two more vivid dreams of me at the orphanage. So much to the point where we'd be eating dinner, and he wouldn't be eating. He'd just be telling me all these details about the orphanage in Korea and be like, hey, you know, they, they don't have hot water all the time, so you're going to have to be ready for this. And, you know, that, tell me, you know, these different things. And, and he's just fascinated because he's get, his, his third dream was me moving in. His fourth dream was me teaching English to the children. Vivid dreams. And he's just giving me details. And it got to the point where in late October, my family gathered around, my two sisters, my, my brother-in-law, my parents. And they each shared their fears and their concerns. Like I said, this is missionary work is just totally foreign to my family. It's scary. And so they were sharing their different things, but each of them said to serve the orphans is a good thing. This is so clear that this is God doing this. 
and they each blessed me. And my parents, uh, they told me that night, they said, John Michael, we are no longer your responsibility. And if anything were to happen to us in the States, you need to entrust us to the Lord because you are the Lord's servant. You're going to go do the Lord's work, and we're giving you to this work. And they all laid their hands on me, and they blessed me that night. You talk about a turnaround in one year. It took time, guys. And this is what I'm going to preach about today, that waiting time. But this was more than I could have ever asked for or imagined. I had been hoping for some angel to show up in my dream. Now, that would have been cool. But this story is so much better because it involved my family and how God is the one who changes the hearts. And it was just a couple days after that time of praying with my family that I finally got a reply from Pastor Che. And he said, we would love for you to come and move into our children's home with us. We'd like you to come after Christmas this year. So that day, I bought my plane ticket. I, I finished working construction, said my goodbyes, and I moved out December 29th, 2005. I came to Korea, and I lived with the kids. And uh, God's grace was so over me during those years. Uh, guys, there's so many more stories I could share about 2006, 2007, 2008, how God brought me through all those things. Uh, he's been so faithful. And what's so cool is my dad continues to get dreams. He continued to get dreams after October. He started to get dreams, and just he, he sat me down uh, before I left for Korea, and he said, John Michael, I really feel strongly that Korea is going to be your home. Korea is going to be your place of rest, but that in time, God's going to begin to send you to different places, and you're going to go, and you're going to do his work, and then you're going to come back to Korea. You're going to recuperate. You're, you're going to get strong again, and then you're going to go out, and what God was putting in my heart very strongly was North Korea, North Korea. God is calling me into North Korea. It's so obvious. I'm going to learn the orphan spirit. I'm going to learn the language. I'm going to learn the culture. I'm going to get immersed into it, into it. But there's a grace because it's a developed country. I'm not going to be like a mess. You know, he's going to take care of me. There's freedom of worship in this nation. Um, but that in his time, he's going to develop me and an army to go into North Korea and to do his work. And uh, this was what God was putting on my heart. And God has given my dad so many dreams about North Korea that he is ready to give up his job, to sell everything, and to come join me here in Korea for the work in North Korea. Our God is an awesome God, amen? He is able to change every heart. In his hand is the life of every living thing, the breath of all mankind. He is good. He is faithful. He is able to do all things. And uh, guys, my life uh, is a testimony of that, and I could keep sharing more and more testimonies about this because I've continued to seek him and his perfect will. And guys, the story of how Sky and I came together, stories of how he brought me through living in the orphanage. I lived there for three years before I got my own apartment, how he has provided for me for this ministry, how he has been opening doors. Uh, it's so amazing. God is so awesome. And the wait is so worth it. The wait, that whole year of fasting and praying and seeking him. And I've been fasting throughout college, praying for my future. It wasn't until my last year that I really concentrated it. But I remember when I, when I graduated in May, I felt disillusioned because I had prayed and fasted for so long. And I had people looking up to me. And they were like, what are you going to do? So you're going to Japan? Like, okay, you know. But I didn't really have a testimony. I said, God, if this is your will, if this is what you really want me to do, come on, guide me. You know, do something. And, and I almost wanted to just give up, just go to Japan and, and figure things out. But God said, wait, continue to work construction. You might think that you're wasting time, but no, I'm growing your character. 
I'm growing your trust in me, and I'm writing a story so much greater than you could ever imagine. Waiting on the Lord. It's so worth it. So I'm going to give a short message today on waiting for the Lord. And if you're taking notes, title of this sermon, aptly titled, Waiting for the Marshmallow. I think some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Waiting for the marshmallow. In 1970, professor, uh, his name was Walter Misko from Stanford, psychology uh, professor, did a test on kindergarten kids, ages four to six. And in this test, I'm going to read this because it's kind of complex what it was, but was the purpose of the study was to understand when the ability to wait to obtain something that one wants develops in a child. So he wanted to test in these child, children and see, is it, does it start at four years old that you can wait on obtaining something that you want? Or, or do you, are you just compulsive at four years old and then it develops at five years old? Or does it develop at six years old? So he was testing this. That was the, the purpose of the test. And uh, he tested them, and by what he did was he would put a treat, something that the kid wanted, in the room and have the child sit down and say, you can either have this treat right away or whenever you want, or you can wait until I come back into this room, which was for 15 minutes. And if you wait, I'll give you another treat. And so the kids sat down. And uh, you guys can, I'm going to show you a video that depicts this. This has been done many times. Some of you guys have probably seen this. It's on Vimeo, Marshmallow Test. It's entertaining. Let's watch it. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right. Okay? 
Alright, so I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give me another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. you have done what would you have done so after 20 years after this test he did a follow-up study on the participants and he was shocked by a very clear correlation that came out of the test that he wasn't even looking for but it was so clear he couldn't deny it and uh, what they found was those who had waited longer had higher SAT scores better grades they were healthier much more likely to attend and graduate from college, and even proved better at staying in relationships. That's amazing. Four to six-year-olds did a little test, and the correlations were so strong that almost all of the parents of the kids who had waited said, my, my children are successful. And almost all the parents of the children that didn't wait, it wasn't as good. The odds were much more against them. The ability to wait would foreshadow how they would live their life and the decisions that they would make. So my question to you all today is, what is your marshmallow? What are you waiting for? What is, is it your calling? Is it something that you really want? What's your marshmallow? What's something that you are looking for? And I want you guys to think about it right now. I want you guys to take a moment because this is important. Because if you don't know what your marshmallow is, this message is pointless. But if you have an idea of, man, this is the desire of my heart, or, or this is you know, my dream for the future, or this is what I've been pursuing, then you can really receive this word strongly. So for some of you, I know you're waiting for a spouse. That's one big marshmallow right in front of you. You know God has something good in store for you, but at the same time, you're ready to just take whatever you can get. Uh, some of you guys, your marshmallow, hey, I'm, I'm just saying what the Lord's put on my heart. Some of you, your marshmallow is a calling to the entertainment mountain or the media mountain or the business mountain. For some of you, it's a breakthrough in your job situation. Uh, my marshmallow is very clearly North Korea. Some of you, it might be that. It might be another place in the world. Uh, it might be the success of your children. It might be something different. But take a moment. Just consider, what is my marshmallow? And uh, I'll give you guys a few moments, and then I want you to ask your neighbor, what's your marshmallow? And respond. So, give you guys a second. Write it down. All right, go ahead and ask your neighbor, what is your marshmallow? And response. If it's not personal.
All right. So you guys have been waiting. Some of you have been waiting a long time. And what usually happens with waiting, especially if it's something good in front of you, what usually happens with waiting, especially if it's something good in front of you, is that there's, at the beginning, this sweet grace and this sweet anticipation. I'm going to wait for this. It's going to be good. And you know what? Uh, at that marshmallow test, they said very few of the children ate the marshmallow right away. And they suspect that those that ate it right away just didn't understand the directions. They were, they were too young. Just, you know, ate the marshmallow. They, they said most of them were able to wait at least five minutes. The majority of the kids, vast majority of the kids were able to wait at least five minutes. But what happens after you've been waiting for a while? You start to squirm like those twins. You start to be like, come on now. What's taking so long? Maybe I should just take this. Maybe I should just settle with this. And uh, I want to show some verses on what the Bible says about waiting. And I'm going to put these up here so you guys can see them. I encourage you guys to write down the reference if it stands out to you. These are just a few verses on what the Bible has to say about waiting. Psalm 2714 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 34 says, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on Uh, You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Isaiah 40, verse 30 to 31. This is a famous verse. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And uh, here's a personal favorite that most of you guys probably don't know this verse. Uh, It's Habakkuk 2.3. This is a great verse about praying for vision. It says this, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. NIV interprets it for the revelation awaits the appointed time. Uh, And so it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Why does God encourage us to wait so much? Why is this so important? And, and why does this determine our success in life, whether we wait or not? Uh, I want to say this. The reason why God has, has us wait so often is so that we can meditate on his truth enough to be ready for what is coming. The reason why God has us wait is so that we will meditate on the truth enough to be ready for what is coming. Waiting is a form of meditation. Waiting is a form of meditation. I preached on this at Hillside. Recently, uh, the Israelites, they weren't ready for the promised land for 40 years. They had to walk in the desert following the fire by night, the cloud by day, seeing miracles, seeing provision of manna, of quail, watching the Jordan River part. Why did God wait so long? He could have just wiped out the previous generation and just sent them in after 15 years or 20 years. God had them wait because he needed them to meditate on his promises enough So that when they inherited the promised land, they wouldn't fall back in fear like the previous generation. The previous generation had not meditated on God's goodness and glory enough. So that when they saw the giants, when they saw the enemy, they ran in fear. God has us wait so that we can meditate on his truth enough to be ready for what is coming. 
You are either meditating on God's promises and, you're in anticip- and you are in anticipation or you're meditating on his lack of response and the seemingly lack of hope around you for an answer. That results in bitterness, apathy, or fear. You're either meditating on his goodness and on his promises or you're meditating on his lack of response and his seemingly void in what you're wanting to do. And so you either have joyful anticipation, like every kid did when they first saw the marshmallow, that joyful anticipation, hey, I just got this promise, this sounds so good, but time started to pass. And those that couldn't remember that promise, they took the marshmallow. They just settled. But those who kept the promise, kept remembering it. It was tempting to want to give in. It was tempting for me to just say, I'm going to Japan, even though I feel like you're saying, no, look. I've crossed out enough. I've prayed and fasted enough. I'm just going to go, and you will bless me. I could have done that. But God said, wait. And I had to keep waiting and trusting in his promises, trusting in the testimonies I heard from other people as well. Waiting on the Lord. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. These are two of my favorite verses, especially in praying about waiting. Waiting. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you see God as a great and mighty God capable of doing anything? Or do you see God as limited in your circumstances? For example, do you see God as, as the one who, who has the five loaves of bread and two fish and somehow we got to just make do with this? Or do you see God as the creator of bread, the creator of fish, the creator of the people that he wants to feed, the provider of all things? How do you see him? Is his hand limited to what you see around you? I, I don't see anybody my type, or I don't see these doors opening you know, for, for this mountain or, or for this job. I don't see much. God, are you really there? Maybe I should just settle. Maybe I should just move on in life. Or do you say, hey... I worship the God of, of David, of Joseph, of Abraham, of Daniel, the God who, who put Esther in the presence of the king like that, the God who put Daniel, number two in the kingdom, like that, who took Joseph out of prison and, and put him up just like that, the God who provides. When you meditate on these things, when you are thinking about that marshmallow, where are your thoughts? How are you viewing God? And this is why we need to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, test my heart and cleanse me from anything that is holding me back from your promises. Make me right before you so that I can inherit what you have for me. You see, the Bible is loaded with stories of men and women of faith. And I love reading these stories of Abraham, of David, of Daniel, of these different mighty men and women. But something that always stood out to me when I would read, especially Genesis and some of these other books, is what's happening between the chapters? Because here God shows up before Abraham, gives him this mighty call that, you know, your offspring will will go to, you know, more than the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless you. All nations will be blessed through you. And then the next chapter is like 13 years later. I'm like, what happened for 13 years? What was Abraham doing? And whenever he would have a, a... his faith would falter, God would show up, and God would strengthen him, and God would build him up. But the first chapter of Abraham, until he finally has Isaac, I want to say it was about 50 years had passed. It's a long time. You look at Daniel, 
And the book of Daniel is 12 chapters of some of the most amazing revelations of the future, of uh, just prophecies of, of the future. And it's also amazing stories of what Daniel did during the time of Babylon. It's amazing. But when you read it, you realize, wow, he got this vision under this king. And then the next chapter, he got this vision under another king. And wow, probably by this last vision, he's like 80 or 90 years old. But I only see 12 chapters. I only see six chapters of his own revelations and then six chapters of some stories. What was going on in between? Well, we we read about in Daniel chapter 6 when they're trying to find dirt on him. And they see, wow, he goes to his room every morning at lunch and every evening and he prays to his God. Everyone around him knew it. And we read about that in Daniel 6. What was Abraham doing while he was waiting? What about David? He's anointed king when he's still a youth. And he has to wait at least 13 years before he's just king of part of the nation. It was about 20 years until he was king overall. What was he doing in between? I can tell you this. They were meditating on the promises of God. They were looking to their creator. They were worshiping him. They were setting their hearts on things above, not on earthly things. They weren't getting wrapped up in the now. God, I, I need a word now. God, I, I need guidance now. God, look at what's going on around me now. God, you've given me this calling. Why am I waiting? Why, why is this taking so long? Why don't I just have an Ishmael? Why don't I just do this? Why don't I just do that? And God's saying, just wait. I am faithful. And God is faithful. And I will tell you this. Abraham, David, and Daniel, if they were before you today, I can pretty much guarantee that not one of them would say, I wish God had fulfilled it sooner. It wasn't worth the wait. I sincerely doubt that. They would all say, my life was amazing. I walked with God. It was glorious. The testimony he wrote through me has blessed generation after generation after generation. What an honor. I would have waited longer if I had had to. That's what they would say. It's worth the wait. God's promises for you, they're worth the wait. Don't turn to the, what the world is trying to tell you to do. Don't let the world put these false desires over you. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I have to tell you this. There was a second marshmallow test. There was a follow-up test. And they said, you know, this test, it, it's not clear. We need to put a variable in this. And uh, they said, you know, maybe it's because of the kids' backgrounds or, or something like that that caused them to do what they did. So in the second test, they changed it up. And they took a large group of kids and split them in half and put them in separate rooms. And for one room, the teacher had integrity. And she would lead them in like a homework assignment and say, if you guys finish this, I'll give you guys a sticker. They would finish it, she would give them a sticker. She would give them another project. If you finish this, you guys will get a cookie. They finish it, she gives them a cookie. But in the other room, the teacher did same thing. Hey, if you guys finish this assignment, I'll give you a sticker. They would finish it, she would go out of the room and she would come back just like, Kids, I'm so sorry. Uh, we ran out of stickers. You know, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, ne- next time, I'll give you a sticker. And then they would do another, another activity. Guys, I'll give you a cookie. She would leave the room. Kids, I'm so sorry. Uh, we, we don't have, we ran out of cookies. Somebody ate them. You know, something like that. <laughs> so they did this. They were trying to create distrust in one group of kids with their teacher. And so when they did the marshmallow test, that one side, turned out just like the original marshmallow test with the good teacher. But the other side, they said almost every single child grabbed a marshmallow. I think only one kid out of the whole test waited the whole time. You see, one of the key variables of waiting is trust. Do you trust in God's goodness? 
Do you trust in God's goodness? Do you trust that God cares for your life? Do you trust that as God has worked in you and has saved you and has redeemed you and has been doing different things in your life, that he will continue to do greater things? Or do you trust more in the circumstances? Do you trust more in the job market and, and just the lack of, of resources? And, and, oh man, North Korea is just not opening up. Maybe I should just leave. Is your trust in God's goodness? Or are you not able to see him in this? Are you just limited by what you're seeing in the flesh? There has to be trust. Psalm 37, 4. I've said it multiple times today. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. I want you guys to see the context of this verse. I'm going to put up Psalm 37, verse 4 through 9. This is powerful. Psalm 37, verse 4 through 9. It says this, Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Fret not yourself. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. It tends only to evil, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Those who wait on the Lord, they'll receive their marshmallow. God is faithful. He loves you. Now, sometimes that marshmallow isn't packaged in the way you would expect, but I guarantee you, you will be satisfied. You will be more than satisfied. Isaiah 49, 23, let's, let's put that one up. It says, those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. The NIV says, those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. This is his promise to you, church, that as you wait on him, you will not be put to shame. As you hope in his promises, as you hope in his word and his truth, you will not be disappointed in your life. You might have to wait a long time. It might not look the way that you wanted it. I can guarantee you, Abraham, he wanted it then, he wanted it now. And he tried it with Ishmael. He's like, come on, God, I'm tired of waiting. Let's just make this happen. And God said, that's not my will. You wait. But in the end, when Abraham breathed his last breath, I can guarantee you, he was filled with joy. He had seen God work, and he knew God's promises were being fulfilled. He was satisfied. Let me close with this point, and this is the most important. Your key in waiting for the marshmallow is not to focus on the marshmallow, but rather to focus on the giver of the marshmallow. Your key in waiting for the marshmallow is not to focus on the marshmallow, but rather to focus on on the giver of the marshmallow. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask for or imagine. He is faithful in our lives. Guys, we are not worthy of anything. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's no unrighteous, not even one. We're not worthy of anything good. But he demonstrated his own love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And his love never fails and never dies. It goes on and on and on. It endures forever. 
He is faithful in our lives. Every good and perfect gift, it comes from Him. As we look to Him, we're able to remember. And we're able to worship. And that waiting, it's okay. Because we're with God. And He's better than any marshmallow. He's better than any calling. Abraham, at the end of his life, I can guarantee you, his satisfaction wasn't in Isaac. It was in walking with the Lord. Daniel, all the fame and all the prestige and power, nothing to him. It was walking with the Lord. David, I know the kingship was important to him when he became king, but at the end of his life, I count it all nothing for knowing Christ, for knowing God. He is worthy of it all. He is faithful and he is so good. And as we look to him, bitterness has no place. Anxiety, fear, apathy has no place because we see he is good. He's been good in my life. He's been good in so many lives around me. He's been good. His truth, it never fails. It lives on for eternity. He is faithful. I'm going to invite up the praise team right now. And uh, I want us to close in a song of praise, just rejoicing in God's goodness for us. And how he delights in us. And uh, I want to tell you guys, if you have any negativity or frustration regarding your calling or regarding that marshmallow, regarding whatever you've been waiting for, I want you guys to bring it to the Lord and just say, God, you are good. God, you are good. God, I lay this before you've been faithful in my life. You have been showing yourself to me and I lay this down and I pray that you take any bitterness, that you take any of these things that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guys, God is near to you. He is alive in your life. He is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. As he was faithful to me, as he guided me with my future, as he continued to guide me today, he will guide you as well. And we, it's, he is worthy of joy. He is worthy of rejoicing. So let's remember what God has done. Let's remember our own testimony. Let's remember the friendships, the people God has put in our lives. And let's trust and know he will carry us through. Let me pray for us. God, I just thank you so much for your goodness, God, in my life, for your goodness, God, in the lives of so many in this house. God, I thank you that your promises are true. We are made in your image, God. They are for each and every one of us. And I thank you, Lord, that even those who haven't experienced the testimony yet, who haven't seen you move yet, God, you've already been working in their lives just as you were working in my life before I knew you, before I heard your voice. And Father, I pray for every person in this room who doesn't know you personally, who hasn't seen you yet, God, open their eyes to you. Open their ears to you, God. Reveal yourself to them, God. And Father, I pray for every son and daughter who's been trying to be faithful who's been trying to just continue to serve and has dreams for greater things, God. God, I pray a grace that they will remember your goodness, that they will remember your faithfulness. Hallelujah, God. And that you will release every encouragement that they need along the way, that you will build them up and that it will be worth it. Every breath, every step will be worth it, God, for you are good. You are the author of life. You are faithful, Lord, in our lives, God. You are so good to us. So we worship you, Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise. Let's just worship. Let's worship the Lord.